Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Mark. We are in the middle of a series of snapshots where Mark is showing Jesus' extraordinary power by describing several miracles that require power beyond even a normal miracle's power. At the end of chapter 4, Jesus and the disciples are sailing to the other side of the sea. That's that is to the eastern side of the sea, the region of the Decapolis. We'll get there in just a moment. But on their way, they're caught in a storm. Well, Jesus, who's sleeping when the storm hits, is woken up by the disciples. He stands up in the boat. He speaks to the wind and the waves and immediately calms the storm, demonstrating his authority and the power over the wind and the waves. And that's something that only God is supposed to be able to do in the Jewish mindset, the Jewish worldview. So it blows the disciples' minds. Well, here in the story we're going to look at in this session, in Mark 5, 1 through 20, they finish up their trip and they arrive at the southeastern side of the lake and Jesus heals a man who is possessed by many demons. And this is the second, then, of these four powerful miracle stories displaying Jesus' exceptional authority. The first is the calming of the storm. Then there's this one with the man with many demons. Then we get the healing of a woman with a chronic bleeding issue, an issue that no doctor could solve. And then uh, we also get raising a little girl from the dead. And so we are in the middle of this sequence of extraordinary miracles demonstrating Jesus' unique and extraordinary power and authority. Now, before we look at the details of this story, the specific location of this event is actually a notorious problem in the geography of the Gospels. And the reason for that is because all of the best manuscripts have either Gadara or Gerasa. But a few later manuscripts mention another, a third location, Gergesa. Uh, and those later manuscripts are actually probably following the suggestion of a church father named Origen, who was trying to figure out the geography and trying to reconcile what he knew about the geography and where this might have happened. And so try to put all that together and reconcile the geography and all three of these names and actually figure out the specific location of this event. Well, that's a bit challenging. There's actually a very helpful study of these issues by Todd Bolin in the Lexham Geographic Commentary on the Gospels. The specific uh, entry there is, Where Did the Possessed Pigs Drown? And it's really a helpful study. We'll note a few more details at the outset of walking through the, the passage in particular. But I just wanted to set that up, up front that there, there is a little bit of challenge knowing exactly where this happened. So let's jump into Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20 and look at this uh, story of this incredible healing that Jesus performs on the southeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Here's the way the story unfolds. It says this, They came to the other side of the sea into the region of the Gerasenes. And there you can see the specific location mentioned. Here's part of the problem, though. Gerasa was a large city and a well-known city. It was actually one of the most well-known cities in the southeastern region of the Sea of Galilee, the region of the Decapolis. And so it's a large, well-known city. The problem is, is that it's about 34 miles away from the sea itself. And that's part of the problem. 
But notice the way the text reads. It doesn't say they came to the city of the Gerasenes. It says into the region of the Gerasenes. And so it seems that we're not talking about the specific city, but, but maybe just this area. In fact, Matthew, the best manuscripts of Matthew, have the region of the Gadarenes. Well, Gadara was a city about six miles from the sea in this same area. Um, and in fact, there was a large harbor on the southeastern coast of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, the largest harbor on the sea. And this harbor served the whole region in the southeastern area. And so, uh, and not only that, there were actually some smaller towns closer to the sea that were associated with this region as well. And so it seems that most likely that's where we're at. We're in the southeastern corner of the Sea of Galilee um, in this region that is uh, kind of dominated by two larger well-known cities, and then it has some smaller towns. The larger cities, Gadara, six miles away, and Gerasa, which is the most well-known city, probably why Mark mentions it, because even in a place like Rome, which is the audience for Mark's gospel originally, they may have heard of the city of Gerasa. And so he mentions this large, super well-known city, but we're actually somewhere closer to the lake because of the way the story unfolds um, near this large harbor in the southeastern corner of the Sea of Galilee. That seems like the, the best explanation for what's going on here. So Jesus and his disciples, after sailing across the lake and calming the storm on the sea on their way, they arrive in the southeastern corner at this large harbor. And verse 2 says, When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And so here is a man somewhere living in some tombs in this area, fairly close to the sea, and he has an unclean spirit. That is a defiling spirit. It's a demon. But the description, unclean spirit, focuses on the idea of ceremonial uncleanness. This spirit is a defiling spirit. It makes this man unclean. And not only that, he lives in an unclean place, the tombs. And so this man is ritually unclean, possessed by a demon, living in an unclean place, and he uh, rushes out and meets Jesus. Verse 3 says, He lived among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, not even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. All of this description there in verses 3 and 4 emphasizes the terribleness of the situation, the power of the demon within him, giving him this like superhuman strength to break shackles and to break chains. And uh, this speaks of the helplessness of anyone who tried to help this man. It speaks of maybe the fear of this person, like this man's strength is so crazy and he's so out of control that it really emphasizes the, again, the desperate situation of this man and helps emphasize the exceptional authority and power demonstrated in what Jesus is going to do in the situation. This man is in a terrible situation. He has plagued this region for who knows how long. This is a desperate measure. And so 
All of this fits in with the theme of these four exceptional miracles in this section, the wind and the waves and the fear and the helplessness of the 12, right? And they wonder, who is this man that can control the wind and the waves? This story with this man who couldn't even be controlled, yet alone helped. In the following section, we'll get a woman with a bleeding issue that no doctor had been able to help. And we get a girl who is dead and the crowd's laughing at Jesus when he says, she's asleep, she's going to get up. Um, And so these four exceptional miracles here, this description of this man emphasizes what a terrible situation and how helpless the situation is. The description continues in verse 5 by saying, Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, and he was cutting himself with stones. In other words, the hills reverberate and echo with his cries and his shrieks and his screams. And not only is he a danger to society, but he's also a danger to himself. He's cutting himself with stones. Uh, This is a desperate situation. Verse 6, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up. So Jesus gets out of the boat at this large harbor, begins to walk along a path or a roadway out of the harbor. Um, This man sees him from a distance as he lives out there among the tombs. And he runs up to Jesus and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do you have with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. And so this poor man in this desperate situation runs up to Jesus, and the demon within him challenges Jesus. When it says there, what business do you have with me, Jesus? Literally, it reads, what to me and you? In other words, what do we have to do with each other? Like, you're here, I'm here, and what do we have to do with each other? Interestingly, at the end of the last scene, the calming of the storm, uh, the disciples wonder, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? But these demons in this episode, they don't wonder. They know who he is. Notice they describe him as son of the most high God. And this title, most high in the Old Testament, it's associated with God's ultimate dominion over all of creation, especially over the non-Jewish nations and uh, Yahweh's power over the gods those nations worshipped. It emphasized that he's above all of that. He is. They have their gods that they worship, but then there's the most high God, Yahweh himself. And so these demons, they know who Jesus is. He's the son of the most high God. And these demons within this man are basically challenging Jesus. Like, what do we have to do with each other? And why are they making that challenge? Well, because Jesus has already been commanding them to come out. Look at verse eight. For he, Jesus, had already been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so, uh, Here's Mark's explanation for why the demons are afraid. Jesus' authority over the demons and Jesus' authority invoking the demons to uh, liberate this man by coming out of him. And the story continues in verse 9 saying, And he, Jesus, was asking him, the man, specifically the demon within the man, What is your name? And he, the demon, said to him, 
my name is Legion, for we are many. In other words, it's not just a single demon that has taken up occupancy of this man and is controlling this man. It is many demons. And uh, these many demons have given themselves a nickname, Legion. And the word Legion actually comes from uh, the Latin term for a division in the Roman military that included around 5,500 to 6,000 soldiers. Uh, this man is possessed by a multitude of spirits, not necessarily 5,000 or 6,000, but by a ton. And so they call themselves legion because we are many. And the fact, notice, that they answer Jesus when he asked the question, even that implies his authority over them and that they felt obligated to give their name. Um, and the demons within the man, verse 10, um, were then beginning to negotiate with Jesus because they're afraid of him and they know he has authority over them. And so, verse 10, and he, that is the demon who's speaking on behalf of all the demons, he begged him, Jesus, earnestly, notice that, like with passion, like, like really begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. And so these demons are afraid and they don't want to be sent out of the region. In Luke's version, in Luke chapter 8, verse 31, we learn that their fear is specifically of, of being sent not just out of the region, but back into the abyss, into the, the darkness and the prison from which these demons have come and to which their fate belongs. They don't want to be sent into the abyss. Verse 11 then continues the story and says, Now there was a large herd of pigs feeding nearby on the mountain. First thing is, right, remember where we're at. We're on the southeastern side of the lake in the region of the Decapolis. That's a Gentile region. Hence, it makes sense that there are pigs there. In a Jewish territory, no pigs. Pigs are unclean animals. And so we're in a Gentile area. That's the reason there's this large herd of pigs. So there's this large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside there on the slopes uh, that descend down to the Sea of Galilee. And verse 12, the demons began begging him, uh, saying, send us into the pigs so that we may enter into them. They're afraid that if Jesus is going to cast them out and they're going to have to go back to the abyss, they're looking for a host. And so they choose the pigs and Jesus gave them permission. Now, this bit of the story emphasizes, once again, Jesus' authority. They're afraid, and they beg Jesus literally over and over again. They're begging him continuously over and over, and Jesus gives permission. In other words, all of this speaks to his power and his authority over them. Them begging, them asking for permission, Jesus giving permission. And so, he's in charge here. And here's what happens. He gives permission, they come out of the man, and this is what happens. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered into the herd of pigs. And the result was that the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. About 2,000 of them, this is a large herd of pigs, about 2,000 pigs, and they all rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and they were drowned in the sea. And so Jesus grants them permission to go into the pigs. They do go into the pigs. And just as these demons had destroyed the man's life, so these demons destroyed the pigs. And ironically, with the pigs dying, they've lost their host. So what happens to them then? 
And the implication is that they end up in the abyss. In fact, in a Jewish thought world, the sea was sort of like one of the gateways to the abyss. And so all of this means that they end up with their worst fears being realized as the pigs are drowned in the sea and the demons, presumably, though it's not stated, actually being thrust into the abyss. Well, what's the fallout from the story? Well, look at verse 14. Their herdsmen, that is the pig farmers, their herdsmen, uh, ran away and reported it in the city and in the countryside. So they go maybe to some of those nearby towns and they tell people in those nearby towns. Maybe one of them runs clear off to Gadara, six miles away, and lets people in the bigger city know. Who knows? But they run off to uh, the countryside and the city and they let people know what just happened. Well, people from those towns and from the countryside and from the city make their way out to where Jesus is, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And verse 15, they came to Jesus, and they saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who previously had the legion. Notice the emphasis. Like They show up. They see what happened. Here's this man. He's well known in the area. His shrieks have been heard all over the place. And now they see this very man sitting there in his right mind, fully clothed with Jesus. And the implication of sitting there is Jesus gathered with his disciples. This man is there. Maybe Jesus is doing some teaching and dialoguing with them. And they come and they observe this man. Um, And their reaction at the end of verse 15 is, and they became frightened. Recall the disciples' reaction when Jesus calmed the storm. They had a mega fear, a great fear. Well, these people here, they're afraid. They're afraid of Jesus. Like this this is a, a man who no one had been able to help. This is a man who was so desperately possessed by demons that he could break chains. And somehow, This Jesus figure has been able to liberate him from that, cast out those demons, and they're afraid. And so, verse 16, those who had seen what happened described to them, these people coming out, those who had seen what happened described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the pigs. They told the whole story. He came running out. They had this negotiation, right? They asked for permission. Jesus gave them permission. They went into the pigs. The pigs, they told the whole story. And the reaction of the people in verse 17 is, and they began to beg him, Jesus, to leave their region. That's interesting. Uh, They're so afraid, Jesus breaks their categories. He doesn't make sense. And so their fear of Jesus means you need to leave. We don't get you. We don't understand you. You need to leave. And they beg him to leave their region, which implies that the people are more comfortable with the, a demon-possessed man living among the tombs who can break chains and who shrieks all throughout the day or night, they're more comfortable with that than they are with Jesus who can set him free. They're more comfortable with a man possessed by many demons than with a man who can vanquish the demons. Well, Jesus says, okay, fine, I will leave, verse 18. And so as he was getting into the boat, The man who had been demon-possessed was begging him that he might accompany him. Let me come with you, Jesus. I want to come with you. You set me free. Please, can I come with you? But Jesus says no. 
verse 19. Here's what Jesus does. Verse 19, he did not let him come, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And this is interesting if you just stop and think about it. We've already seen Jesus do a number of miracles where he, he told them, don't tell anybody. But here he says, go back to your home and to your people and report to them what uh, the great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Why does he tell him to go tell people, but in those other accounts he commands them to keep quiet? Well, location, location, location. Here, we're in Gentile lands. They don't have the confusion about the Messiah. It's actually across the sea from those who are hostile to Jesus, which are primarily the Jewish leadership. And so you're not going to find a Pharisee or any Jewish leaders here who might want to do away with Jesus. And they don't have some of that confusion about the Messiah. So Jesus says, go tell them what the Lord has done for you. And so the man does, verse 20, he goes away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. That's the 10 cities. That's what Decapolis means, 10 cities. That's the description for this whole region. And so we're really talking about a larger region here. And so he went away and began to proclaim in the entire region of the Decapolis. Notice what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. So Jesus told him, Go tell people what great things the Lord has done for you. And he went and told him what great things Jesus had done for him. Who is Jesus? Remember, that's the dominant question that's being uh, explored and demonstrated in Mark 1 through 8. Who is Jesus? Well, bare minimum, bare minimum, he's the one, he's the Lord. He's the one through whom the Lord is powerfully working, bare minimum. What Jesus does is what the Lord God does. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of the Most High. He has the power over legions of demons, over these dark spiritual forces that enslave and torment mankind. That's who Jesus is. And this man has been set free from these tormenting spirits. And he goes and tells everyone the great things that Jesus has done for him. Hey, it's John. I just wanted to say a quick thank you to all of you who make the listener's commentary possible, either through your support through uh, subscribing to the Study Hub or through your support through uh, the donation page at listenerscommentary.com slash give. You're the ones who make the listener's commentary possible. So thanks a ton for that. And if you want to join the team of supporters, there's a link down in the notes below where you can set up a one-time or a monthly recurring donation. To make it monthly, simply fill out the amount, click the little box that says make this a monthly donation, and that'll set you up for a monthly donation. And all monthly donors get free access to the Listener's Commentary Study Hub. Thanks a ton for your support.